In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the things that you have heard me teach and say in the presence of many witnesses, you teach to others who will be able to then in turn teach others the truth. We have been entrusted with the message of the gospel, Paul says to Timothy, uh, share it so that it might be taught. And for several years, many years, Bob Johns has been involved in that ministry, teaching and equipping pastors and church leaders in South America for ministry. Bob Johns uh, uh, has been a member of our church for many, many, many years. And uh, he first, uh, when he first went to South America, he went alone and we enjoyed his visits when he would come back. We enjoyed them even more when he returned with Lydia a few years later. Uh, Bob and Lydia John's partners now living in Montevideo, Uruguay. I'm sure there's a better way to pronounce that than I just did. Although this summer... Uh, Judy Landis uh, taught uh, about our uh, outreach partners to our children, and one of the ways that she helped them remember about the John's ministry uh, was about the video games that Uruguayan children play. So we at our house frequently play for the children who spend too much time with their Nintendos, and for Bob and Lydia who are training the pastors of those children. So it's our privilege really to welcome Bob and Liddy. He's going to be speaking this morning from God's Word, and then tonight they'll be doing a ministry presentation at 6. I highly encourage you to come uh, back uh, for that this evening, and Bob's going to come now. Well, thank you very much, Pastor. I appreciate a pastor that knows uh, where we're working and uh, what we're doing. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, the uh, prayer time too, because it's obvious that uh, he read our prayer letters, uh, which uh, that w- we just sent one recently, and they're out in the uh, what do you call this foyer now? Is that what you call it? Okay. And uh, so uh, pick uh, one of those letters up, and you can uh, know a bit more about what we've been doing. I want to start by just uh, thanking you for what you have done for us. Uh, you have been a very faithful church, as Joel said. Uh, I've been with this church on and off since about 1975. And uh, it was kind of a surprise to me to see that I'm still listed as a member. <laughs> I think I was listed as an associate member way back there. Uh, but uh, we appreciate the contact that we have here with the church and the friends that we uh, have in, in this group. Uh, you have been uh, not only faithful in your giving, you have been faithful in your prayers and showing interest. I appreciate the uh, work that Carol does. Where is Carol? Okay. I was going to say stand up so I can see you, but uh, 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 that little blurb that she puts out every week really helps us as missionaries to know what's going on here and to pray better for you folks. Uh, we do... Uh, give you our sincere and heartfelt thanks for all that you have done for us. Joel has told you a little bit about what we do there. Uh, I'm, I look out over this uh, group and I see some faces that I recognize, a lot that I don't. Maybe I should recognize more of you, uh, but just in case, uh, repeat a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, we're basically involved in a leadership development uh, ministry. Uh, I serve in two different seminaries. Uh, Lydia's helped teach in one of those seminaries. We're also working as chaplains, counselors in one of those seminaries. We visit our students and other new pastors on the weekends. That's what we try to do on, on Sundays. 
And we're also involved in other extra ministries. Lydia will be involved in helping to mobilize uh, national missionaries there. So a lot of different kinds of ministries that we want to talk about this evening. I hope you come back. I understand it's going to be raining, so we'll see who the real, true believers are tonight. Uh, uh, those of you that are tempted. Now, I know it, it could be nasty weather, so I understand. But um, if you can, please come back. Um, why are we doing this kind of ministry? I want to talk about th- that this morning and then relate it uh, to your life. Why a training ministry? Why, uh, why are we concerned about preparing uh, leaders? Uh, uh, we think at this stage in our lives, I'm 62, Lydia's quite a bit younger, uh, we have some experience. We don't know how, much, how many more years the Lord's going to give us of physical strength. But we feel that with what we have learned up to this point, the best thing we can do is to be preparing the next generation of leaders in Uruguay. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. We can't talk about our 20-year plan or even our 15-year plan. At the most, we might have 10 more years, good years. And so we want to try to invest our lives in these last years of preparing the people that are going to stay there and work. Uh, most missionaries have discovered, and I would imagine here in the States too, that it's actually fairly easy to lead people to make a profession of faith. At least in Uruguay, I wouldn't say it's easy. It takes a while, developing relationships and whatnot. But that's not too difficult. Uh, but when we talk about establishing the church, which is really the job that God has given to us, of making disciples and establishing his church, that's a little harder. When I was uh, just in Uruguay, uh, not, after not too many years, I heard about a missionary there, not with our mission, because actually we're the only missionaries with our mission in Uruguay right now. Uh, but I heard about this other missionary, really quite effective, uh, that had had a ministry of evangelism and planning churches going north uh, from the capital city along one of the main highways. And he planted about uh, 10 to 15 churches uh, in a period of maybe 30, 35 years, which in Uruguay is really quite good, quite good. Very dynamic guys, you might imagine, uh, very active. But the sad part of that story is that after he retired and left, a lot of those churches dwindled, and today, as far as I know, almost none of them are functioning. What went wrong? Did he have a bad strategy? Was he a bad missionary? No. No, actually a very good missionary, very effective. But what did not happen, and I can't put all the blame on him, what did not happen is that there were not sufficient and adequate leaders to step in when he left. He was a good leader while he was there, but when he pulled away, everything just came down. That's very common. We even see that here in the States, but it's even more so overseas. And so our burden is for that kind of a need to uh, develop leaders who can step in and take over when a missionary has to leave. But I want to think with you uh, now about a deeper question, a motivational question. I've told you a little bit about why we do this kind of ministry. But why even go to Uruguay? Because actually there's a lot of reasons not to go. and I just want to suggest one or two or three with you. And probably some of these are in your mind already, if you're a typical U.S. church member. Number one, most of the world doesn't really like us. 
Most of the world does not want to see any more North Americans. They're pretty tired of us coming in with our big push uh, from uh, government uh, forces. Uh, they're tired of seeing what we do in business, of kind of overpowering the local businesses. They're tired of what we do uh, with Hollywood, of bringing in our ideas and our culture. And so when we say, hello, I'm a U.S. citizen, I'd, I'd like to come and help you, they're not real excited for the most part, and especially in Uruguay, which is very socialistic. Most don't really want to hear about our message. Uh, Uruguay, as I said, is very socialistic, very uh, much like Europe, uh, very um, agnostic. They pride themselves on not being interested in any religion, not just uh, evangelicalism. And so when we come and we say, we would like to share with you the message of Christ, uh, most of them are interested. Uh, in fact, they kind of poo-poo it. They kind of say, well, you know, that's nice for you ignorant Americans, but we are more educated, we are more cultured, we don't need that kind of a thing. And so when we go in as missionaries, we're working against two things. First of all, we're Americans. They don't really like Americans. They really don't like our message, and it takes a long while to really gain trust and to open up the doors so that they consider the gospel. But some of you might be thinking, some of you that have more uh, exposure in the local church, you might be thinking, well, isn't it true that the church, the evangelical church in Latin America is growing? Uh, isn't it true that there's a lot of believers there? It's growing a lot faster than the church in the U.S. Why do we need missionaries in Latin America? Well, like all generalizations, that's partly true. Uh, in a lot of the countries in Latin America, the church is growing rapidly, places like Brazil, uh, Guatemala, El Salvador have very high percentages of believers. Argentina is also growing, but still not that large. But there's still also countries like Ecuador, Venezuela, and Uruguay, which probably is one of the lowest percentages of evangelical believers anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, about 4 to 5% in uh, Uruguay right now. It has been growing, but there's still uh, a very low amount of evangelicals. What about those believers that are there? Can't they train the others? And the sad fact is that we have a lot of very capable leaders there, but they're so busy, and most of them cannot do the ministry full-time, so they just don't have time to invest in a teaching ministry a lot of times. And a lot of them also don't have training. They're very effective uh, ministers. They're very effective uh, people that uh, work in their local churches, but they just don't have uh, the time or the background to do the training. So, back to square one. Why bother to go? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why bother to go? That leads us to talk about what is the purpose of our life, what's the purpose of my life, what's the purpose of your life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Can we uh, turn this machine on? I want to talk about how you can make your life count. About two weeks ago, I attended a funeral of a good family friend in the uh, local church where I grew up. Uh, the Schertzers were in that same church. I remember we were all part of a little group called a mission band. It was very interesting. So I go back and I analyze that little group and how many people came out of that very small group. But that little church, I had been away for many, many years, and we went back for this funeral, who's a 
good friend of the family, good friend of my dad's. He was 89 years old. He had lived a full life. And it was kind of a day like today, not a very nice day. And it was in the morning, so I wasn't sure how many people we could expect at that church. But the auditorium was filled. It was filled with friends and uh, relatives. And uh, the pastor did a very good job, I thought, of giving uh, a funeral message. And he was a believer. I think I said that, but in case I didn't, this man was a believer. And at the end of his message, he gave a time for everybody to kind of share of what this man had meant to them. Now, this man was a fellow worker with my dad in the factory. I don't even know if he graduated from high school. He did not have any kind of Bible preparation, the sense of formal Bible preparation, uh, almost no academic training. But yet, as one person after another got up and they shared what this man had meant to them, I realized this is a man who lived a life that was worthwhile. And now that he's gone, people are saying, this man touched my life. He helped me in this crisis situation. He helped me come to church and I found the Lord here in this church. He helped me when I was discouraged and I was going to leave everything to one side. A very simple man, a gruff man, uh, not a polished man at all, but he lived a life that was worthwhile. I think when we all come to that time, when they put us in a box and we're in the front of a church in a funeral home, we would like people to say nice things about us. We would like them to say, yes, the life of that person was really worthwhile. But very often we get sidetracked and we do things that aren't really all that important. So this morning what I wanted to do is just look at some verses with you uh, about what the Bible says, what is a worthwhile life. There's not too much new here, uh, but I hope as we revisit some of these verses uh, that you'll be encouraged. You don't need to, I know you're accustomed to pick up your Bible and look for the verses, and while you're doing that, you're not going to hear what I'm saying, so just forget that. Bibles are good things to read at home, but right now you're going to look up here, Okay. <laughs> What about the length of our life? And this is taken from the New American Standard. I wasn't sure what version you use here. I, I had forgotten to use the New International, so a little bit different. But Job says, man is born of woman, who is born of woman, is short-lived and full of turmoil. He's like a flower that comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. I like those word pictures. Uh, a lot of the courses that I teach are in the Old Testament, and I taught some from Job. But that idea of being a flower, it's a wild flower that springs up, is very pretty, like in the spring of the year, and very quickly it dies and it's gone. Uh, the shadow, it, uh, when the sun's out strong, you look at that shadow, it looks like a very uh, real thing, but very quickly when the sun moves, that shadow changes. Psalm 39, 4 and 5, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as handbreadths. Handbreadths. Very short. And my lifetime is nothing in thy sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere... Gone. Conclusion? Everybody can get this, right? Got it? Believe it? I hope so. If you're a young person here, you probably don't really believe this. You know it up here, but you don't really believe it. It seems like only yesterday that I was a young person 
seated there and thinking about what am I going to do with my life, and here I am close to retirement. It happens. It goes by real, real fast. Life is short. What should be the priorities then in our life? Uh, a lot here we could say, but we're just going to pull out one verse from uh, what Jesus says in Luke 12, 22, and 23. Then he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. He also talks about the importance of family. We talk a lot about the importance of family in today's world, but he even says there, if any man does not hate his father and mother, does not hate his children, he can't be my disciple. What's he talking about? He's talking about what's really important. And even in that equation, family is not the most important thing. Food, clothing, and things shouldn't be our focus in life. Uh, we all talk about this, the great materialism and whatnot, but uh, when you analyze where we're really putting our time, and as Joel said in the Sunday school lesson, uh, what do we think about when we don't think about anything else? Um, I won't say any more about that. You, you've heard all that. What should be the goal in our Christian life? And here, yes, let's turn uh, to Colossians and just look a little bit at this text. Because what I'm saying is just I'm picking and choosing, of course, which is always dangerous, but hopefully giving you a biblical uh, uh, concept of what should our life be as Christians. But in Colossians, Paul is writing this church, which he had never visited yet. He's in prison, and he's writing to this church, uh, which is very close to Laodicea, um, and Hierapolis are on the same little region there. And Paul says uh, in uh, verse 3 that he's praying for them. And why does he pray for them? Verse uh, 4, because I've heard of your faith. And verse uh, 4 also, your love. And because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. His famous uh, three-point message, faith, hope, and love. And then he goes on to say that uh, he knows that they've heard about uh, this message of hope uh, through the gospel, that you've heard in the word of truth, the gospel. They had received that message. He doesn't say exactly here how, but probably as we read on, probably through Epaphras, who was one of his uh, converts in Ephesus, uh, verse 7. Um, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant. Um, he goes on then to say in verse uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12 how he's going to pray for them. And that's what I want us to look at a little bit here. That they will be filled with the knowledge of his will, verse 9, that they might walk worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, and attaining steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks. And then as you continue on after there, um, he talks about exactly uh, why you can give thanks uh, in the verses which uh, continue after that. But we want to go back to verse 10, because I think verse 10 kind of sums up what the others are saying. Uh, We could, if we wanted to do a, a... a real careful study. Each one is a little bit different, but we want to focus in on that little phrase, 
to walk worthy of the Lord. And I see that as the goal of the Christian life. Paul says, you are sons of God. You have become joint heirs with Christ. Now you should walk like that. You should live like that. And uh, these other things are telling how you will walk worthy, bearing fruit and increasing the knowledge of God. In 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, he expands this idea a little bit more. And he says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life and deed. And I think the NIV translates this, uh, that which is really life. In other words, if you really want to live, this is what you need to do. Be rich in good works, be generous, share, and in this way, you're going to be walking worthy of the Lord. Conclusion, the goal of the Christian life is to live a worthy life. A worthy life according to whom? Obviously not according to this world, but also not according to the current what's in for the church. The church as a social organization. The worthy life according to what God says. A life that shows spiritual fruit and growth in knowing God. This involves doing good. It's not bad to do good. You know, we like to kind of throw stones at the do-gooders because we said they don't understand salvation. But Paul has a lot to say about doing good, being generous, sharing, and being productive in a spiritual sense. This still doesn't answer the question, why missions? Why, if I'm going to walk a worthy life, what does that have to do with missions? And now I want us to go back again to the Old Testament and lift out a verse and then come to the New Testament. Psalm 96, 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. This really is what the Lord wanted Israel to do, and they did not do it. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Declare his glory. Show forth his glory to the people that still don't understand who God is, and what God has done so that they would repent and come to him. Declare his glory. Proclaim his salvation. This is Old Testament. We come to the New Testament. Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth, and he says to his disciples, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached or proclaimed in his name to all nations. I think the NIV does say proclaim there. Uh, In his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. We like to focus in on being a witness, but really uh, Jesus was calling his disciples to, as they go, as you know in Matthew there, it says, as you go, make disciples. Here he's saying, as you go, uh, you will be proclaiming my name in all nations, and you will be witnesses of these things. That's what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about. Conclusion, part of living a worthy life is to share the message of his salvation with the nations. You see, I'm a believer through the grace of Jesus Christ. I've received that. Now I am supposed to share all things with my fellow believers, but with others also. And part of that sharing has to do with sharing what God has done in my life, but also sharing God's glory, sharing the message of redemption with those who don't know. 
Our life is short. We don't have much time. We're not supposed to invest it in trying to get enough stuff. We're not supposed to invest it even in human relationships. We're supposed to invest it in living a worthy life. And part of that worthy life is to share what we have, what we've been given. We've been given a lot of spiritual blessings. And now we're not supposed to camp on that and say, glory to God, thank you for what you've given me. We're supposed to share that with others. And that includes beyond our borders, but also, of course, right around us. I want to share with you some of the people that we know and people with whom we've had contact uh, who have done that. And uh, because I think this will help you to flesh out a little bit more what this means to live a worthy life. These are all all students that I've had and people with whom uh, Lydia and I have had contact. And their stories, we can't go into a lot of detail, but they're very, very interesting. Not all of them are Uruguayans. Our first example, they come from uh, Korea, as you can tell by the, the faces. Jose and Rebecca are the Spanish names they've given themselves, but they really have come from Korea. Uh, they're sent up by a church in Chicago, and uh, uh, they came, they've been sent by the church, but not necessarily totally supported by that church. Uh, they have partial support from the church, but mostly they work as translators from Korean to Spanish. And that's the way they they live there. But they're working with uh, university students, evangelizing, discipling university students. This is one of their daughters. Last August, uh, both of their daughters were married. One daughter was married in Chicago. Another daughter was married in Korea. And now uh, this daughter, let's see if I can get the... Yeah, this daughter uh, is... uh, Let's see, they got married in Korea, I think. This one was married in Korea. Yeah, Lydia says yes. And then she came back to Uruguay. You're newlyweds, if you would like this. She came back to Uruguay and finished up her university work while her uh, husband was finishing up his work in Arizona, University of Arizona. Now she'll be going back and they'll be going together to Guadalajara, Mexico, where her in-laws are, and they'll be working with students. The other daughter uh, was married in Chicago and now they're living in Houston and also working with students. So this family in a period of just a few months, was totally separated. The parents continue on in Montevideo, serving the Lord there. The two daughters separated uh, quite a bit, uh, also serving the Lord in a student ministry. Why? Because they want to make their lives count. Uh, They have a lot of reasons for saying, well, now we have to go back and be close to our daughters, uh, or the daughters would think we have to be close to mom and dad, but they didn't make that decision. Another family, Israel and Beatriz, uh, who work with children. Beatriz was one of my students in the Baptist Seminary. Uh, He is a professional uh, pastry chef uh, going to France, international competition in March. But they had a burden for the people that lived around them. Uh, uh, Rather, I think here they call them at-risk kids, kids without uh, both parents. A lot of these have their dads in jail because of drug charges. Uh, Some of the moms with multiple husbands. So it's a kind of a messy situation and they just had a burden to reach those children. And they began to work in this very poor barrio and the Lord has given fruit from that. Not an easy work at all. uh, And no outside support. They're doing it all on their own. 
and uh, yet the Lord has blessed that ministry. We'll maybe talk more about them tonight. Mario. Mario is one of my students also in the seminary, this fellow right here on, the, uh, on your left. Uh, he uh, is a soccer, professional soccer uh, trainer and uh, also teaches phys ed. Um, he has a ministry, along with somebody else, of reaching professional athletes there in Uruguay. Uh, but his real burden is to uh, do some kind of mission work. They're not sure exactly where yet, uh, but uh, they feel like the Lord is leading them into some kind of mission work outside of Uruguay. Uh, a rough uh, home situation. They have two children now. Rough in the sense of economically, they, he has a good wife, but uh, just uh, a tough situation. And yet Mario continues on with his heart to reach these athletes and later on to reach others outside of Uruguay. Another couple uh, there in the seminary, Delta and Alex. Uh, they, uh, Alex is from Uruguay. Delta is from Mexico. They met on the uh, Operation Mobilization boat where they were working for two years uh, and uh, got engaged and were just married this last uh, February and now studying in the seminary. But their goal eventually is to serve as translators in one of the unreached uh, countries. It says Bhutan, Asia. I'd like to know, if, does anybody know where that's at? I didn't. Uh, it's up here in the northern part of India, more or less in that area. It's an unreached area. Uh, you can't really get in there as North American missionaries, but that's their goal, uh, and that's the way they want their lives to count. Some of you may be saying, well, that's great. I'm, I really think the young people, I hope they're listening. I hope they're ready to... Uh, to dedicate their lives and serve the Lord, but I'm, I'm really past my prime now. I'm 50 years old, and I really can't do too much for the Lord. Baloney. This lady was one of my best students. Uh, I put 81 years old there, but uh, Lydia thinks she's 83. Uh, lives by herself in a very poor body uh, section of the city, and uh, yet she would always be one of the first students to get there, and then she'd walk home uh, late at night there. Lord protected her. She also works with, a, uh, as it says, a prayer network of helping organize uh, prayer uh, requests, uh, and she's also the treasurer of her own little local church. Uh, Elena. Elena is somebody who says, this is my life. With what I have, I want to serve the Lord, and she's doing it. What is God calling you to do? That's really the crux of the matter here this morning. I want to end with an illustration uh, from somebody that I don't have a picture of her here, but her name is Ethel. Lydia met her as she was working uh, in organizing uh, this organization of um, sending missionaries, Uruguayan missionaries, uh, out. And this lady has had a burden to help missionaries uh, as they come back on furlough and uh, also as they're out on the, their uh, fields uh, serving the Lord, uh, Ethel has tried to do what she could to uh, help these, in many cases, single lady missionaries that are working in Asia. About three years ago, someone challenged her and said, Ethel, 
you know, you're always trying to help these missionaries here when they come back and writing to them, but have you ever thought maybe that God wants you to go out there and actually help them where they're living? Because many of them feel alone, many of them feel uh, isolated. Uh, they speak Spanish in an area where they many times speak another uh, language or they speak English, and none of which they, they, uh, they manage very well. So Ethel began to think about this. And she felt like God really wanted her to make this trip to Thailand, and she'll be leaving now next month, Lord willing. Uh, has never been on an airplane. Uh, she and her husband, uh, they earn very little, actually. Uh, she's not supported by her local church. This is not coming from uh, some, like here in the States, sometimes it works out where a group says, here, would you, if you will go, I'll give you this X number of money or... Uh, churches send out their people. Now she just decided this is what God wanted her to do. Her local church is behind her, but they just can't help her. So they saved up this money, I don't know for how long, and now they had the amount to pay for the plane ticket. She's going, Lord willing, next month. She'll be going to different places there in Thailand, but also uh, perhaps going in to visit a group inside China uh, an unreached people's group that they've been praying for, and she, along with this other missionary, will be going in there. When I say missionary, I'm talking about Uruguayan missionaries. Why is Ethel doing that? I mean, who told her that she had to do that? Uh, where'd she get this crazy idea that uh, somebody, a poor Uruguayan lady, uh, could get on a plane and, and travel thousands of miles to help these missionaries? Nobody told her that. She's just convinced that we're here on this earth to make our lives count for God's glory. And a big part of that is to share that message with others. So the question I want to leave you with, what is God calling you to do? God wants you to live a worthy life. He wants you, when you come to that point, when you leave this earth and you're in that box, that people will say, yes, that person lived a worthy life because they did this and this and this. But what are you doing with your life to really help declare his glory beyond this area? There's lots of stuff that we can do in today's world. And it's good to pray. It's good to give. But I'm talking about personal involvement. I'm talking about personal commitment because I really believe as we get personally committed, then the others come along with it. What are the dreams that God has given you? What are the crazy things that you want to do for the Lord? And maybe you're almost afraid to talk to anybody about it because it sounds so loony. Maybe that's not so loony. You know, think about those dreams. Pray about those dreams. Almost all the advances and missions were done by crazy people. People who the rest of the church said, nah, you can't do that. That's not right. That's not a good idea. No. They listened to what God was saying to them, and they went ahead and did it. Now, I would like to also say along with that, there are a lot of people that have done a lot of really, truly crazy things, and we have lost money and time because of those crazy things. So before you do something really crazy, try to consult with the spiritual leaders in your local church. But don't Put away those dreams that God has given you. God has given you that for a purpose, and he wants you to live a worthy life. How does God want you to declare his glory in this world? How does God want to use you, like Ethel, to 
go and do something that nobody else can do. I would challenge you to think about that and to really open up your heart and your mind. Don't be, you know, in this little box, in this scene, you know, nothing else. Uh, I don't know if they still say it here in the U.S., but they used to talk about thinking outside the box. Well, I would encourage you not just to think outside the box, get outside the box, get out of it, and try to see what does God want you to do to live that worthy life and to declare his glory. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that indeed you do want us to declare your glory in all the earth. We ask, Father, that you would guide us and and help us to know how to do that. We ask, Father, that uh, you would uh, raise up in this local body uh, more uh, people who can serve you, uh, perhaps on a part-time basis, but perhaps even many on a full-time basis. And we ask, Father, that uh, you would challenge hearts and challenge minds with your word and that you would help this church to do even a better job of declaring your glory among the nations. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find a green sheet of paper with some lyrics to a song, Oh Great God, that we're going to sing. The last line of this prayer song says... O God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. And uh, we're going to sing this prayer song as we finish our service this morning. Let's stand together and we'll sing, O great God 